back, my friend. Even the S&P is down four and a half. Volatility up 40 cents, about as high as volatility has been all day. But all that means nothing when you've got Let me explain with Chris Vecchio. Chris, what's up, my man? Good morning, gentlemen. Happy long weekend. Getting ready to start trading for the day. Yes. And Sazov's already made a scalp of, uh, of, of some futures, just so you know, a positive scalp, which is Ooh. rare. Yeah, which is all rare. As he loves to say, which is rare. <laughs> um, all before all before eight forty. Anyway, so we've got a few minutes here, Chris. About eighteen minutes, and today I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff at you regarding twenty twenty three because we're still early in the year, and sure. I'm going to go back just a couple of years and talk about things that have. Um, you know, last couple of years in, in this particular decade. So in 2020, there was obviously the pandemic, which was the, the biggest story, but the biggest story because it caught us all by surprise. But I think the more interesting story was towards the second half of 2020, there was kind of this explosion in things like, um, you know, uh, SPACs, for example, and for capital raising and for I, companies got to choose between IPOs, between SPACs, between different deals. There's just there was this in, extraordinary amount of money floating around to to make deals with. In 2021, we saw a continuation of kind of the SPAC marketplace, and then we also saw an explosion in the IPO marketplace. And you can couple that a little bit with the whole meme stock, you know. Uh, the whole meme stock extravagant. And there was, you know, there was a time when we were like, we were looking to add IPO services to our platform, you know, just so we people could participate because everybody was like, I want to participate, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. So, because sure. every IPO is a home right. run or perceived and home then, run. And then all of a sudden, of you know, the, the market pulls back in 2022 and the SPAC market basically goes to zero. I mean, literally dried up overnight and, and is essentially zero. Um, and the IPO market goes to zero. You know, the 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 deal market went um, completely dried up as well. So the SPAC market dried up, the IPO market dried up, the deal market dried up. And you can see that in kind of like Goldman's numbers this morning and things like that. Um, in fact, I, I was reading here that the IPO deals that were done in 2022 plummeted by 94% from 156 billion to uh, 9 billion total. So that brings us to 2023. You have no crystal ball, either just Tony or nor myself. But if we we're to think about 2023 and what is, and so far the year started off, you know, volatility has been contracting, the market's been Staying definitely inside of its range the market's been inside the range it's been strong the the earnings plays so far have been pretty much all non-events um is is this the year like first of all what do you think is going to be the the mover this year like what do you think is going to be the story not necessarily the mover but what do you think is going to be the story and will that part of the business come back so when i think about SPACs and ipos over the past few years SPACs were really interesting because they were kind of the perfect vehicle during an era of low interest rates and ample liquidity. I mean, they're effectively synthetic convertible bonds, right? You get the convexity of equity, but you get the downside protection of, of credit. And when interest rates are really low and there's 
ample cash sloshing around through the system. Why would you want to go through the IPO process itself? That can take several months. It involves scrutiny of financial information. SPACs are filled on a trading day basis. They're basically filled within the hour of the open. IPOs may not see fills until you know noon of. It typically takes a few hours. So if you're just trying to cash out of the market uh, and you're a well-known investor, if you're even a celebrity, like, go the SPAC route. It made a lot of sense for the time. I don't think SPACs are coming back, though. Right? One of the points of conversation we had last night with Tony on the show was uh, this era of higher interest rates has created a, a higher hurdle rate for how much cash costs right now. And so investors aren't really willing to take the kind of risk that goes into an uncertain business prospect when they could find more stable cash flows out there simply by going into like bills or notes. Why? go to an IPO that may not have a certain economic future, particularly when we're so concerned about the economy right now, given some of the economic data that's come out recently. So I don't see 2023 being the year that SPACs are revived. No, I don't, I don't I do, think SPACs will be revived either, but I'm just, you know, I'm curious about anything else. It doesn't have to be just be a SPAC. Well, this is this is where it come, gets interesting because I think the second half of the year is really when you can see more IPOs come back because I do think that interest rates are going to be coming down, right? If there is an upside play for me this year, I've expressed this a few times already, but I think it's got to be bonds here in the first half. And if you get a, a, a real pullback in yields without saying that I have a crystal ball, but if you get a real significant pullback in yields, particularly at the long end of the curve, then the IPO market and the process for raising capital becomes a little bit easier. And I think that on the other side of whatever slowdown we're seeing, you're, you're going to see see uh, more of that speculative activity return to the market, including with meme stocks. I mean, meme stocks have kind of been picking back up recently. Uh, you've seen this with uh, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond over the past few weeks. You've, there's been a lot of interesting price action, even though it's going through the bankruptcy process. It kind of reminds me of all that trading around Hertz right around the start of the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. When they declare bankruptcy, then the uh, stock price skyrockets. So we're starting to see those speculative excesses return, even though interest rates are very high. And I think that means that once we get to the other side of these high interest rates, you're going to see a lot more of those Wall Street bets type of action uh, permeating uh, wherever we can find ourselves uh, in this market. Well, let me give you the counterpoint for a sec. So I agree with you that interest rates have, I think they've peaked, or if they haven't peaked, they're close enough. Um, for this move that we've had. For the move that we've had. But here's the problem. If you have a, you have a large public company and you're considering going to get financing, and your stock price is down significantly, whether you're you know, a high-tech company or whatever, you're going to think, you're gonna look at the interest rates and you're gonna go, can I beat a 5% return on equity or whatever it's gonna cost me to raise capital? So I would rather, like for me personally, if the choice came, let, let's just use our own company, we're a public company, let's just say, let's talk about us. I would rather, um, borrow money at higher interest rates than float stock at lower prices. Like, I'd rather bet on myself. Do you know what I'm sure. saying? So, so I think you're going to see that a lot. I think you're going to see companies that would say, listen, you know what? I would rather still borrow money, even if rates are, you know, have, have long, have, they've, they've left the zero train long ago. And whatever they are, I'd still rather borrow money because I like my upside better than diluting at a huge discount to what I think fair value is. So that that's one argument there. On on the SPAC front, um, I, I agree with you. I SPACs are dead. They're not coming back. 
But there was something that we learned in the SPAC. They've been around for 40 years. No, no, of course. But they just don't, you know, they they weren't a big, they they weren't part of an everyday discussion and, Mm -hmm. and you never heard the term. But there was something interesting about SPACs that, that, that I found was that essentially there was a huge market for eliminating the, um, the large investment banking houses and for essentially creating the what they call the pipe or whatever it is, but for creating a, a conduit to or a, um, a vehicle to raise capital directly with institutional firms straight into, you know, these startup companies, these companies about to go public, rather than going through the traditional route and being nicked for, you know, 7, 15, 25 percent, whatever the number was. What they found in the process was when the market just doesn't go up, it doesn't work. (laughs) But what's interesting was there was this huge market for avoiding or for, for being able to basically sidestep, you know, all the large investment banking houses and all that. That's also what I think would drove the digital asset marketplace. So digital assets exploded for the same reason, in that you could essentially create currency and go outside of the norm. Like that that's the beauty of, of the technology around digital assets. And that was the most interesting thing about SPACs was it gave you a different vehicle. Now it didn't work because the market didn't continue to support it. It's that simple. But you know, looking ahead to 2023, what is, and of course nobody knows this, but but what's going to be the driver to bring us back to kind of that, you know, you need that speculative buzz, right? It, that, that's what drives everything. And you need that, that, that all that buzz that get people excited about. So things. if we lost that buzz, have we lost the market? No, no. I mean, we haven't lost the market. Well, obviously, no. I mean, I know how it's behaved. I'm talking about for the future or well, for the short term. That's why I'm term. asking because Chris Vecchio is supposed to know everything. Awesome, awesome. That's why. That's why you explain it to me. That's why I'm looking for. I'm I'm reaching out to Chris. I mean, he's 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 our future. I mean, this is our next generation here at Tasty. The guy's name is Chris Old. I mean, let's not. You know, I mean, I think we got to go, Chris Young. Don't give me too much credit. No, No, but I mean, I mean, it's a lot of pressure for you to carry the torch into the future. I got that, but um, but I'm I mean, you know, there was um, we did a little research on this segment today, and there was not a single tech deal. And in um, that raised a billion dollars in the past year um, after 15 raised a billion dollars in 2021. And and so that's a really interesting stat. Like like there's a lot of cash floating around out there that's not necessarily looking to invest in the market traditionally, but that's looking for alternatives or looking for kind of new and, you know, new things to invest in. You know, I think with that high hurdle rate for investment, uh, how should I say this? Investors want workhorses, not unicorns right now. They want companies that have significant moats where they can withstand a decline in business activity and yet they still maintain a competitive advantage within their market niche. That's uh, true. That's a, that's a Warren Buffett term, right? If, if the tide goes out, will this company be swimming naked? Were they really only propped up by liquidity and the fact that people could take risks and spend money wherever because they have so much disposable income? That's not really the case right now. I think 
you know, even when you're thinking about the the Web3 space with digital assets, it was no longer just having a PowerPoint and an idea and you were seated for, you know, your, your early round investment. It was where, uh, what's your runway going to look like over the next six months, right? How much money do you need to stay in business? Where do you self, see yourself becoming profitable over the next year? How many employees can you, you know, take on if the, your business declines by 20%? And, and that's not really how it was in 2020-21. So I don't think that's coming back right away. Will we have that point in time again in the future? Absolutely. I think that we're a lot closer to Fed easing, and I think that we're a lot closer to more stimulus than some people want to admit. That's probably at the tail end of this year or early next. And once that does come back, then you're going to start to see some of these type of 2020-2021 behaviors return into the marketplace. Uh, but, but I think this is a function of quality as well. I think the decline in these companies that were listed for over a billion is simply a function of people being a little bit more conservative insofar as they know they have to mark to market their illiquid assets once a year, and they don't want to be caught doing something absolutely ridiculous that you know, screws over shareholders. And I think that's the point that you were raising earlier. You know, why would you want to issue more equity at a point when your valuation is already extremely low, dilute yourself, when you could try to bet on yourself in a different manner, take out some debt, look for a higher upside play. Um, for, for VC investors, for retail investors, they're kind of stuck with the same conundrum. Why bet on someone who's effectively going to be diluting themselves and is going to depress their own valuation moving forward in this high interest rate environment? Yeah, so the problem with that, I mean, I, I completely understand. The problem with the argument is, and I call this kind of the Warren Buffett argument, is that Warren Buffett um, made, um, Warren Buffett created this, created kind of this, this approach which worked for him because he was able to hang on for 60, 70 years. Right. And his money, Warren Buffett did something in, in hindsight that was absolutely brilliant that nobody else, you know, can, can ever replicate, which was his money, um, the money that he raised initially, it was it was money that was the stickiest money in his, like, I think there's people that if they didn't die, they, they've they never touched a penny of it. You know, they, they've, there's these great articles written about kind of, you know, all these Nebraska farmers that became billionaires because, you know, they just, hey, I didn't even care about that $100,000 I gave them in 1957 or whatever, you know, and it turned into X number of billions. Um, Warren Buffett had access to sticky money. None of the money ever left. So it, he could... He actually had duration over anything. We say duration over direction, but he had duration over everything. He out he outlasted everybody, everything. But managers today, you're only as good as your last last quarter. Like yeah. if you have a bad quarter, you're freaking out of business. And like I don't think people realize like to get Warren Buffett's stickiness is next to impossible. And so for the for most managers, like the idea of, hey, I'm gonna buy this stock because it's cheap, or I'm gonna buy this stock because I think this company's fundamentally sound and, and you know, like nobody wants to nobody wants you buying IBM with their money. <laughs> Even though IBM's been down the dumps for, you know, 20 years or whatever it's been, like that's not exciting. Like, you don't tell me GM's a good buy because fundamentally, blah, blah, blah. Like, as, as good as that story sounds, it's only good for Warren Buffett because he can, he, there's nothing, he, he can't, there's nothing he can do to mess that up. But for everybody else, it doesn't work. Like, it's just, it's not interesting. It doesn't work. It's not a story, you know, the whole deal. So I think, so I'm, so I'm not buying that actually because I think that that's not, 
you know, that's not where we're going. I just don't see that as the future of finance. I think everything has become, you know, what have you done for me lately? What is my short-term upside? You know, what are we looking at? Um, I'm okay for the next nine or 12 months, but what are we thinking 24 months from now? That's all you got. You know, you got to deliver. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with that. I mean, that's that's part of a broader societal issue, right, where our attention spans have been absolutely decimated over the past five or 10 years. Maybe that's a function of social media, but people are very impatient. They're impatient with their investments. They're impatient with even watching ads in between YouTube shows. Uh, and so they're not willing to take a longer-term investment horizon. If you're an investor, you really need to think 5, 10, 15, 20 years out. What but do you? But today? do you? I don't. But you're not an investor, you're a trader. There's a difference. But I right? still invest in things and, and I still build things and invest in things. And and I mean, I can see, like I have a, when it comes to investing, I have like that private equity mentality. You better show me something in, in a couple of years or I'm out. Like, I don't have that. I'm not looking for, you know, you better at least show progress in in one, two, three years or, you know, you've got seven years max. But but that's seven years is a long time. I agree with you. But that is that is a to me. That Good is the point. Most, that is the most <laughs> passive approach I would ever take. Other than that, everything has got to be like it's what have you done for me last quarter or last six months? That's it. Oh, sure. I mean, that's I, I think from a trader's perspective, that makes a lot of sense. If you're thinking seven years out as an investor, that's a long time to make things work, right? Uh, but, but a lot of people don't think on those time horizons now. And that means capital gets pushed into certain directions where those type of good businesses aren't given a chance to flourish because they don't have that kind of sticky capital. So uh, that's why I think this, this SPAC IPO, uh, uh, you know, Frenzy is not going to be coming back anytime soon because everyone wants to know what have you done for me lately? What are your next quarter's financial results? If they're not good, I'm pulling my capital. I don't believe in building something for the future. So, so my take on this is that I actually think you're going to see in the second half of this year, all the way through 2024, you're going to see a renewed frenzy um, in upside, you know, I don't know if I, I'm not sure if I'm willing to call it startups or or new players in the marketplace. But the reason is in in years past, the, the when there wasn't available capital, the cost to entry was just too great, it's just too much. It's too expensive. But in today's world, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. And the, the technology barrier, the cost of technology for that that barrier that was always out there just doesn't exist anymore and people have become numb to a different level of risk and so there's just more money there's just there there's a there's a different acceptable level of risk and i don't think that it's possible to hold that back for much more than like we held it back for all of 2022 i don't think it's possible to hold it back for much longer if we can get a big decline in interest rates, I will come around to your perspective. Uh, but until then, we need to see the, the cost of capital go down. And until the cost of capital goes down, it, I just find it very difficult to think that with a deteriorating economic backdrop, people are going to want to take that risk. People want a short thing right now. They'd rather take the 4% on you know your T-bill than buy the NASDAQ. He's Chris Vecchio. I'm Tom Sosnoff. He's Tony Batista. Thank you, we'll Chris. Take, Good we'll stuff today. We'll take a quick 90-second break. Come back. We've got a market measure next. Tasty Live.
The content of this podcast is provided solely by Tasty Trade Inc. and are not the direct views or opinions of any of its affiliate companies. This content is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, a research report, trading or investment advice, or a recommendation that any investment strategy, security, or futures product is suitable for any person. You are responsible for making your own investment decisions in light of your individual investment knowledge, objectives, and financial situation. Applicable supporting documentation for any claims, including claims made on behalf of options programs, comparison, recommendations, statistics, or other technical data will be supplied upon request. Tasty Trade Inc. is not a licensed financial advisor, registered investment advisor, or registered broker-dealer.